Welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short, the global development news show. I'm Kate Midden. The European Commission and European Investment Bank are both vying for control over the bloc's aid spending, each saying it's best positioned to deliver on a new vision that would consolidate authority over development financing streams from existing EU aid agencies. The power struggle under the latest EU budget negotiations has gained attention as high-level officials make public their deferring visions for the institution's roles and plans. Today we are joined by DevEx Brussels correspondent Vince Chadwick. Vince, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Before we delve into this conversation, can you explain the deferring roles of the European Commission and the European Investment Bank in regards to these development financing streams? Sure. So the European Commission is probably best thought of as the equivalent of like a USAID-style actor, and particularly the European Commission's uh, development directorate, uh, DEVCO. They also have a humanitarian section called ECHO. But DEVCO is the one really doing most um, development programming, basically your classic um, human development projects in health or education that um, most of our audience would be familiar with. And together with the member states, the EU institutions plus the member states are the world's biggest donor in official development assistance. But even on its own, the EU institutions are the fourth large, largest donor they gave about $16 billion in 2017, so really significant. The EIB is, the, is an investment bank. It also uh, has another role as a um, development bank outside Europe's borders. Um, most of its lending is done inside Europe in aid of EU policies, and it's owned by the EU's 28 member states. Um, but what's significant for this conversation is the lending it does overseas through a thing called its external lending mandate um, and and also uh, which, which has a ceiling, if you like, of three, uh, 32 billion euros um, for financial operations between 2014 and 2020 in around 60 countries. And then in addition to that, it also does work in Africa, Caribbean and Pacific through the ACP investment facility. So it does have a strong development role as well. Um, and I, I guess that the, those two players are, are converging, if you like, it, in this uh, latest debate over the future budget, which is for the period 2021 to 2027. And this is something that you've been following really closely in your reporting for many months now. You know, this this battle in you know in the stories that you've published really looks like it comes down to ownership over this new vision for sort of a consolidated funding stream can you kind of break down that vision and then tell us about what each of these institutions are advocating for in terms of leadership over that the, the main thing to distinguish here is uh, the use of uh, guarantees so I suspect most of our audience are familiar with guarantees where basically, in this case, the EU budget is used to say, look, if you want to go and support, often this is done through national EU national development banks like the um, AFD in France or the KFW in Germany, they want to support, um, say, micro lenders uh, in, uh, in, a, in a developing country, um, say, Senegal, uh, but it's a risky investment environment, 
and there's a risk that people won't pay back those microlenders. And what the guarantee does is it lets the um, the EU budget be used to incentivise investors to um, support those initiatives um, because you're basically saying we'll take some of the uh, cost for some of the hit if this uh, doesn't work, if this project fails. So they're so essentially taking the risk out of it. Yeah, you're trying to de-risk basically, exactly. Um, but you're not saying you'll de-risk all of it, but you will contribute and the idea is that that will incentivise people to um, do more investment in developing countries, which as we all know from the Addis agenda is uh, the, the latest vogue in development. Um, you know, it has to be, you know, the people talk about billions to trillions and this is very much part of that drive, if you like. So when we talk about the EIB and the Commission vying for control, I don't think there's any suggestion that they're going to, the EIB is going to step on the Commission's toes in the classic development projects and human development things that we're talking about. This is more, uh, as I say, in relation to those guarantees. And the reason, the, the backdrop to this, um, is that in 2016, the European Commission announced a thing called the European Fund for Sustainable Development, which we've previously spoken about uh, in a webinar. And basically, this is the Commission saying they wanted to use guarantees um, to go into risky countries and de-risk investment. And the European Investment Bank had already been doing this under the external lending mandate. And so... This tension actually dates back from a few years, and in the in those negotiations uh, for the EFSD, a fairly significant role was carved out for the European Investment Bank in the Secretariat, which was kind of the people who were going to organise which projects to choose, where that expertise that the European Investment Bank had built up with its experts would be really brought to the fore and would help inform which projects were supported. Uh, so that was, or, and that was already, um, had already been ongoing for a while, but the problem is those projects, which have only just been selected this year, are yet to be rolled out. So it's kind of unproven. But what's happened is now they need to negotiate the next seven-year budget, and so the Commission has proposed greatly expanding the EFSD into a thing called the EFSD Plus. And so that would have up to 60 billion uh, euros potentially used for guarantees. So that's a huge amount they could call on in, the, in this attempt to de-risk investment in developing countries. But the, in the process of doing that, the Commission said, well, we'd like to uh, oversee that and to give more of a policy sphere and to be the the centre point, if you like, of how different European development banks, including the EIB, the AFD and others, use this guarantee. The Commission has said we want to be the, at, the, at the helm, if you like, because they're very conscious of the criticism of previous attempts at de-risking, which was they weren't taking enough risk, basically. Um, and the, so this brings us to the current Tension. If I hope you've you've followed me, that the uh, Commission proposed something which was similar to what the EIB had been doing, but the EIB was involved. Now, under the new budget, the Commission proposing greatly expend, uh, extending it, 
uh, and the EIB has got less of a role. So now the EIB has come up with its own counter-proposal saying, no, 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 we should be at the helm of this new platform for use of external guarantees and we have the expertise and we should be the ones um, using this using this technique and be kind of playing the reading lot, reading leading role. So it sounds like the kind of argument and tension here is with the European Commission saying, you know, we are the people who want to be in charge of setting policy and policy is what we do and this is our agenda and therefore we should have ownership over this. While the EIB is saying, we've already been doing this for a bunch of years, we have expertise that you don't, we should be the ones leading because we have the technical knowledge to actually make this effective. Yeah, so there's, there's and that's, that's one way of, exactly, of condensing it down and that the Commission says the EIB don't take enough risk and don't have enough experts in developing countries and the EIB says the Commission has an untested model and not enough technical expertise. Um, so that's that's the uh, kind of black and white way of looking at it. So against the backdrop of this tension, you've also done some reporting about how the European Commission, should they get ownership of this, you know, they're already starting to tie development assistance or align development assistance much more with political priorities one of the major ones being migration. Can you delve a bit into the backstory of what that could mean for this kind of convergence of, you know, of, guarantee, of the arms that do guarantees of these different agencies and what the concerns are generally about this model? I know in past reporting you've done, you've talked about how civil society has had a lot of concerns, particularly in this area. Well, migration is really the buzzword in Europe development circles and has been for a few years and certainly that was the way that the European Fund for Sustainable Development was couched as well as a way to tackle the root causes of migration. Um, and so that's how the Commission would see it and in one of my stories I spoke to a, an official from the Commission who said, you know, they, they want to support the person who goes to Italy, fails, um, in their attempt to reach Europe and is sent home and needs a micro uh, credit and gets it and starts a small business. So that's the image the Commission has that what they want to be doing with this money. But the EIB would say, would point to some recent evaluations um, that have been done of the external lending mandate and they would say that they're already being shown to be very effective at meeting the policy steer uh, that Europe wants to bring to bear, um, and that has recently migration's recently been added to one of the um, objectives of the EIB's work through the external lending mandate. So that was one of the reports I, I got my hands on recently, where the, some independent evaluators and consultants um, found that the EIB's work was a good expression of EU interest abroad. Uh, and so uh, that we we again run up against this this difficulty where um, uh, the, the EIB feels like it's already got proven experience in the field, but the Commission wants to go uh, further. Is this you know is this tension new, or is there have there been historically tensions between 
these two institutions regarding ownership? Because this sounds like sort of a classical development issue that we hear about where there are two institutions who have, you know, competing visions that may actually be aligned, but, you know, could result in doubling up on programs. Um, what is your sense about the backstory here? And what have you been hearing about kind of the historical precedent? Well, there's people who've been in Brussels many decades longer than me, uh, but certainly when Werner Hoyer, the president of the EIB, spoke to Devex recently, you know, he seemed a bit weary of what he described as the budget games, which often come up. And I think um, this is a uh, the in an ideal world. There's an, e there's an evaluation of the EFSD, which is due um, next year. And in an ideal world, we would have that and we'd be able to have all the facts and then make a decision about which is the best, where the best um, comparative advantage is in terms of who runs this new platform for guarantees abroad. But unfortunately, the budget negotiations mean that all of that's been brought forward and uh, the Commission is trying to finish the next long-term long budget negotiation um, before the end of the current um, commission, which is in May, there's the European elections in May next year. So that has exacerbated, if you like, something which would have perhaps previously been worked out between the institutions in a more civilised way. Now everything's kind of come to a head because um, we're talking about the architecture for the seven years from 2021 to 2027. So what are, in the conversations that you've had, what, do you get a sense if there's sort of from civil society or from, or internally, if there's more kind of, um, if there's more momentum around, you know, having the responsibility for this shift to the European Commission or the EIB? Uh Civil society on this one, uh, to be honest, I think civil society in Brussels is deeply sceptical of the billions to trillions narrative and blended finance and uh, attempting to get the private sector interested in development work in general. Um, and so they would perhaps take a view that <laughs> might be a bit strong, but they might say a pox on both your houses and please wait until you know, the EFSD evaluation is in next year and then we can decide. I mean, but it's a tricky one for um, NGOs because they also can't be seen to be against the private sector. I think they, they would just say they have a healthy scepticism about whether these initiatives will, will work and they certainly are concerned that the size of the guarantee in the new budget proposal is so large relative to the classic human development, education, health, type stuff that we'd be all familiar with. So that's the civil society um, perspective. In terms of who's winning the battle at the moment between the Commission and the EIB, I'm hearing that the EIB is working with AFD and KFW on a um, proposal, uh, so the German and French development uh, institution. Um, the, and They've made the EIB is making an argument to member states that because member states own the EIB, they already have a strong policy steer and policy input into what the EIB does, um, and so that's 
you know they're they're trying to make that argument, and Werner Hoyer mentioned that in in his um, interview with us as well. They've made that argument recently to to member states. Um, the other factor in in this is the French and German governments over summer called for a high level reflection group on um, the future of external financing by European development banks, and I'm hearing that they've now chosen seven names, I think I heard it was seven, I'm asked, put in a request to ask who those people are. I, if they're listening, I invite them to <laughs> to drop me a line. Um, and they're supposed to come up with uh, proposals for European heads of state by the December Council, which is where all of the EU heads of state get together in Brussels and talk about um, the issues of the day. So, uh, or usually, usually in Brussels. So that's another thing um, to watch is where the national capitals start to get involved because what I'm hearing at the moment is when this issue comes up in the various council configurations, the commission and the EIB kind of look a little bit like squabbling children in front of the parents of the member states and the member states need some clarity because the budget process is moving on and there's also a lot of other issues on the agenda. I mean, the, the commission is part of their new budget proposal. They've also proposed um, putting spending on the EU neighbourhood and development in the same instrument, and they've proposed bringing the European Development Fund into the budget for the first time to provide greater scrutiny for the Parliament on development spending. So there's plenty of issues that are on the table in Brussels at the moment, and uh, the, the, the risk that both the Commission and the EIB run is that if they can't uh, be, be clear and sort it out, that it could, this could all be overtaken by other other things as well. So uh, all of those dynamics are at play, but I, I'm hearing that by the end of the year, we, we should certainly know much more. And um, it's, as I mentioned, the EIB is working with the other national development banks, and um, if they can get a concrete proposal into the um, hands of member states, then that will you know, probably strengthen their hand as well. Yeah, this all speaks to something else that we haven't delved into quite so much in this conversation, which is that the proposal for this consolidation is something that was very contentious in the past and then kind of all of a sudden garnered political will. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about what this proposal, the proposal for this sort of streamline guarantee um guarantee mechanism would look like and why it's sort of coming to the fore now as an option when in the past it wasn't really was not politically viable? Uh, I, I I think the, the I'm, I'm not sure about it not being politically viable in the past. I think what's become clear is this, as I said, this emphasis on private sector and development um, and the recognition across Europe that they need to be pushing in the same direction when it comes to the use of these instruments and there is a need for better coordination. So even though I've tried to give a flavour of the disagreement, now it's clear that whatever happens, they need to be talking to each other more about how these guarantees are used um, and uh, they need to be more strategic um, in how they're deployed. So I think in that sense, the, the conversation is is timely, um, but it, as I said previously, it, it does bring out 
the institutional tensions which, as you said, have, have been there for quite some time as well. Earlier this month, you obtained a copy of the report that had shown the EIB's external lending mandate in a favorable light. You started you know, talking about this a bit earlier, but could you talk a little bit more about what that report said and why this is a point of contention? Because from the story you published, it sounded a bit like the report showing the EIB in a favorable light got buried as part of this battle for influence. Uh, that, that's probably in the eye of the beholder as well, in the sense that the copy of the report um, does say final copy on the front, but uh, it's part of a broader, the Commission have said, and they say in the story, that it's part of a broader evaluation of the success or otherwise of the EIB's external lending mandate, which is not due until next year, and they've said we'll publish the entire review uh, on time. but. The report also says final report, and it's true, it's very complementary of the success of the ELM. But um, the Commission also says it's not necessarily disputing that the ELM has has had some successes. Uh, I think the, it's, a, it's a question of emphasis, perhaps, as well, because the, as part of what the way the ELM works, the EIB is supposed to tell the Commission uh, what projects it's supporting, but there's a brief mention in that report of the fact that the, perhaps the Commission doesn't have a, as clear an idea as they should about what projects are coming down the pipeline. So that was kind of a, a, a slight jab, if you like, in the report, which was prepared by consultants. Um, and as I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, sometimes when consultants prepare reports, there's this little game that goes on with the people who've asked for the report where the findings are, are tweaked, if you like. Um, so, I, uh, you know, I got a copy of a, a report that's been seriously done that said final report and we reported that as, as such. The Commission hadn't published it yet and it could it could look like they were burying it because it didn't suit the narrative um, at the moment, but the Commission's explanation is it's part of a larger review which will be due next year and we can expect it then, but I guess then we'll compare <laughs> compare it with the report, which we also published in full as part of our story. Yeah, something that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on. The last thing that I want to touch on on this topic is the inclusion or exclusion of the SDGs in this new proposed framework. Um, where are they in, <laughs> or where aren't they um, in this new in this new world that has been proposed? Uh, it's the, 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 it's the initial EF, if we're talking about the European Fund for Sustainable Development, which is the Commission's proposal, and then the EFSD Plus, which is the sorry, the, what they've proposed for the future, and they're in the process of rolling out the EFSD kind of Mark One, if you like. As part of those negotiations in 2016, which I mentioned, the Parliament, the European Parliament, was given a strong role, and part of their role was to look at how well these projects were meeting the SDGs precisely because of the concerns of civil society and others that otherwise uh, this kind of de-risking would benefit bigger players um, and would not reach the projects that were really going to make a difference in the most vulnerable countries because, you know, the people, when this was proposed, you know, there was talk 
in press materials and in briefings, you know, we want to de-risk projects in Somalia and Central African Republic, you know, countries are very, very difficult sometimes to do business. Uh, so, you know, that that was the whole, the commission would say that's the whole point of their souped up proposal is to get the SDGs more front and centre. Um, but the EIB would point to the evaluations that we've discussed and say that these tools are capable of meeting the EU's priorities and uh, if, you know, uh, SDGs could be, uh, were brought further to the fore, then certainly they'd be capable of meeting that challenge and uh, already already are through their work in, you know, African, Korean and Pacific countries uh, and elsewhere. Um, the EIB would say that they've already um, done a lot for <laughs> uh, people around the world. So this is part of the debate which is happening in in Brussels at the moment in general is the institutions are saying um, we this is obviously this is to the benefit of um, people in developing countries but NGOs and others are saying yes but is it really going to least developed countries is it um, is it designed to tackle the SDGs and it, if so it should say so explicitly and that is true of the overall budget proposal as well so um, I think it's it's in the eye of the beholder, um, and that's part of why this debate it burns on and on, because the institutions can say we're already doing it, and the um, NGOs and others can say you need to be more explicit and um, and uh, be be clearer about which countries you're targeting. So we have these kind of two institutional tensions. We have a new proposal for this kind of consolidated guarantee mechanism. We have concerns from civil society looking at both sides. We have, you know, critiques of how the SDGs factor in. And we have this review coming up next year that you've talked about a couple times. What is next in the for this particular, um, you know, for this particular like point in time for European aid. What are you hearing from experts and advocates about how this is going to play out? Uh, well, I would. My own uh, interest is to see what the French and German high-level group say, because um, that could certainly uh, have a bearing, and um, that if it is if they keep to the timetable of delivering an opinion before the end of the year, that would be, that would be fascinating. Um, I think all of those aspects you mentioned um, uh, could still be there in a, in a year's time. Um, you know, there's a, as I, as I said, we're, we've, we're honing in on the, in this conversation on one small part of a much bigger budget discussion, which is going on in Brussels at the moment. Um, and it, it could not be, politically um, expedient for anyone to put too much capital into resolving this issue and it might they might um, try and and kind of uh, de delay it as much as possible or, or come up with a, a fudge um, but I'd say look look at the French German declaration but what I'm hearing about the negotiations between the EIB the Commission and the, the member states at the moment is that um, it's Difficult. The, the main difficulty they're having is about 
the um, role in who assesses the project's viability. Um, the Commission is concerned that the EIB can't assess their own projects and the, com the Commission wants to bring in more con external consultants to do that kind of work. Um, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, KPMG, those kind of people who have that uh, expert uh, financial expertise. Uh, but the EIB uh, is is more keen, um, as what I'm hearing, to have um, to have its expertise front and centre, which they say they've got a track record of delivering results in. Um, so that's where things are getting a bit uh, stuck at the moment. Um, and it, I, I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a crystal ball. I'll be following it closely. Um, but it seems like member states are getting sick of the commission and the EIB fighting it out in front of them and would quite like to have a, a cleaner solution presented. So that's probably a question that they need to resolve, um, get their own house in order, and then we can move on from As you say, something that you'll be keeping a close eye on. Vince, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. In other news, last week, DFID held its highly anticipated safeguarding summit to address the sexual abuse scandal that has rocked the aid sector. The summit kicked off with the controversial announcement that a charity currently under investigation, Save the Children, will play a key role in a new register of aid workers. Many also pointed to the practical challenges with creating and maintaining the register. Back here in D.C., U.S. President Donald Trump has threatened to cut aid to Central America. The news comes amid reports that an estimated 7,000 people are making their way through Mexico to the U.S. border in what's being called a migrant caravan. The new approach to migration has proved challenging for responders and has spurred controversy ahead of the U.S. midterm elections. You can go back to a previous episode of Long Story Short where I spoke with Teresa Welsh, our reporter who covers Latin America, about whether foreign aid can curb the migrant crisis. And finally, at the UN World Data Forum in Dubai, there's been a focus on building capacity of national data and statistical systems. Several conversations have also revolved around improving the quality of data, particularly in disaggregating data so those who are not currently represented, such as women and girls, people with disabilities, and the elderly become more visible. Be sure to keep on top of the latest developments in EU aid by following Vince on Twitter at vchadw. You can also follow us at DevX. And be sure to keep on top of the latest stories publishing on devx.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.